1: This is Trailblazers with Stephanie Brantz. Our guest today is the Chief Executive Officer of Netball New South Wales. She came to netball from the Brisbane Broncos, where she was a senior member of the club's executive team and played a key role in the delivery of the inaugural NRLW. A former rep netballer, she's a highly experienced and respected sports administrator who has big plans for the future of the game. Our Trailblazer today is Tane Drinkwater. I got the... Drinkwater, welcome to the program and congratulations on your role with Netball New South Wales. That's exciting stuff, right?
0: Oh, it is extremely exciting. Um, One, it's great to be back in New South Wales. uh, And two, it's great to be back, um, you know, representing a sport that's uh, is completely female-dominated at this point in time.
1: <laughs> a bit of a sea change. Uh, well, a former mm. Speedy Centre yourself, of course. Is, is this somewhat of a homecoming? Absolutely.
0: I don't think in my wildest dreams could I have imagined I would ever be uh, the CEO of, of Netball in New South Wales and... And, you know, two amazing sporting franchises. You know, I grew up watching the Swifts as a young girl uh, and, you know, I've spent a lot of time with the Giants players and the Giants team over the last, you know, uh, couple of months. And, and you know, what, what great ambassadors for the game and what great
1: ambassadors for young, young girls. Yeah, they're super. Now, Tame, we're, of course, old friends. I met you, what was it, four days ago at the Giants' <laughs> first home game. Uh, how exciting was it for you to see Suncorp Super Netball in its new home at the Ken Rosewell Arena? Oh, it's so
0: fitting. You know, we've worked so hard and and, and um, you know, Sydney Olympic Park and, a, and the New South Wales Government have been really instrumental in, in demonstrating that support for for netball. But ultimately, I also say it's it's overdue. You know, it's It's well and truly time that uh, Netball Netball and Netball New South Wales had a place to call its own. And and the arena is fantastic. Um, And now we just need to get fans there.
1: (laughs) Well, I was going to ask you, 623 days since the Giants last hosted a match. That's extraordinary. And of course, due to the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. uh, Were you pleased with the turnout? Yeah, look, I was. I, I, I'm not going to say I wasn't a little disappointed um, given that, you know,
0: the, the changes that were implemented sort of kind of early last week, which which made um, us have to obviously respond and, and make our own sort of kind of changes to ensure that we, you know, we gave, we produced a product or, or delivered something to the community that was going to be safe. Um, but similarly, the opportunity now is this weekend. We've got you know, the Swifts playing at one o'clock, we've got the Giants playing at five and, and you know, we've got two amazing um, products there and, and I guess I'm trying to encourage everyone as much as they possibly can to get down on Sunday afternoon to, to show you support, whether it's for the Swifts or whether it's for the Giants.
1: Yeah, and it's a really f- fun time out. Of course, for the Giants, it was 66 goals for the second week in a row to start the season with consecutive wins. Um, how are the both sides looking for the season? Oh, look, both sides are super strong. Um, you know,
0: the, the, they've both learnt some valuable lessons, you know, particularly um, coming together as a group, you know, in the hub last year in, in Queensland. Um, both of the teams are just tight knit. I've actually, you know, aside from obviously the Broncos women's women's team, um, I haven't seen, you know, a group of women come together so collegiately in a really long time. You know, they're they I don't know if you know but a lot of them live together they work together they and they just love spending time together I've never seen it before <laughs> so um, it, you know that sort of kind of connection relationship sense of family really translates itself um, you know to the to the court and and you can see that in in how they interact with each other and how how sort of kind of strong they are performing together.
1: You mentioned in the Broncos uh, women and I want to talk to you about that in a, in a moment but for you back in New South Wales, in the scope of the netball world, if, if you're looking at it as, as a general health check, how is New South Wales stacking up as a state? Uh, general health check, look,
0: you know, it's, in terms of netball, uh, it has got, netball has got the broadest reach um, in, in the whole of the country. We've got 115,000 participants, Um, it is the largest sporting you know competition um, for for women and girls alongside and alongside soccer I guess has really developed itself from the grassroots um, and know the the deal that we've been able to secure with foxtel you know commencing 2022 is only going to strengthen that competition so you know it is it is all upside for netball um but but similarly there's a lot of work we need to be doing to sort of um, build on our commercial portfolio and and i guess really um develop a sustainable model for the ssn so we
1: can invest back more into our grassroots and volunteers those participation numbers uh, you mentioned, Now I know that they all fluctuate a bit. When I was a kid, all girls played netball, but there's a lot more competition now, isn't there? And netball did have two record-breaking participation years pre-COVID, but that grassroots, it's, it's the holy grail of every sport, isn't it? Why is that? Uh, look, for me, it, it, it's about...
0: Being as inclusive as we possibly can, and by that I mean, uh, you know, Nepal has traditionally been, um, you know, a female-dominated sport, and young girls want to play it. But similarly, um, we need to be looking a little bit more broadly than that. You know, there are they've got some extremely strong men's competitions. So how do we engage with, you know, men and young boys to encourage participation? You know, similarly, um, how do we work with some of our, um, you know, Indigenous Torres Strait Islander Muslim communities to Um, you know, to really create a product that's something that they want to engage with um, because the opportunity for us really is um, broadening our imprint and footprint, you know, across that grassroots to then, um, you know, be able to invest in pathways and and invest in elite, you know, competitions so that we can broaden that pool. At the moment, you know, it is sort of kind of um, quite selective, you know, very, very competitive. Um, So it's about creating competitions that young girls and young boys can sort of kind of um, aspire to.
1: And to invest in that, you really need the competitions to be... Financially self sustaining, don't you? It's so important in the current climate. And we saw that uh, with the impact of the the pandemic, the the sports that weren't uh, financially sound really, really struggled. Um, Where does that come from and how hard is it to achieve? Is it marketing? Is it publicity? Is it wins? Is it sponsorship? everything <laughs> uh look yeah I, I, I think it's a bit of everything uh, but i also think
0: it's about really creating a value proposition um that is aligned you know to um to commercial partners you know i sort of look at netball as a product and think wow you know um it's family oriented it's a clean sport um you know it you know, there are so many variations of the sport that people can play, um, whether it be, you know, on a Saturday, whether it be midweek, whether it be indoor, um, you know, but I don't know that netball has been, um, for want of a better term, you know, aggressive in terms of um, getting out there and really promoting the size and the scope and the opportunity, um, you know, that our brand represents. So, For me, um, you know, I think this is a great opportunity for Netball New South Wales to take a lead and and really, um, you know, put value to our product and and invest in ourselves.
1: Do you feel like uh, it's helpful that you have a netball background? Obviously, you've proved that you can nail it in any sport, but uh, (laughs) with a netball background. And it wasn't just you, was it? Uh, Your dad was a coach, right? Yeah, look, um, I definitely didn't nail netball,
0: uh, but certainly I was very passionate about it. I I think I started playing when I was five and I played right up until I was 35 and had a child and broke my wrist and thought it's probably not worth doing it anymore. <laughs> um, but in saying that, I'm really, I sit on the sideline now and I'm reinvigorated and think that I should, you know, get on a pair of of, of shoes and, and get out there and play, but um, you know, I grew up, I had three sisters, um, my mum played, my mum played, you know, until well into her late 40s, early 50s, uh, and my dad coached, uh, he had no choice, <laughs> and, and similarly, my three sisters, we all played at one stage, there were three of us playing, um, you know, in the one team, um, all very competitive, um, so that made for some interesting um interactions on the court not uh, but and similarly you know I loved you know at the time I used to umpire Um, I didn't love umpiring my mum I can tell you that right now but um, (laughs) it's a very she my mother is very competitive I, I will definitely tell you that um but for for me, it was really around um, – it, it's a wholesome family product that everybody can get into. I mean, the beauty of it is also, you know, you, you're, you're based in one location. You go to your association. That's where you play, you know, every every week, um, you know, and mums and dads and brothers and sisters, everyone can get involved in it. So I, I think having an understanding of netball and playing it myself and, and then similarly understanding, um, you know, where those touch points are and and where players are dropping off, you know, when, when young girls are sort of kind of turning 13 and 14, why is it that they're starting to look at alternate sports? Is it because they don't see a pathway? Is it because, you know, the talent pool is so, so small that they just don't see themselves being able to um, aspire to that? Or is it other things, you know, in terms of them you know, the outfits that they have to wear or, you know, what, like what is preventing people from playing um, and, and what do we need to be doing as a sport to innovate to be able to make sure that we are as inclusive as we can be.
1: Yeah, and that's across uh, all fronts, isn't it? The the officiating, the playing, the coaching, uh, all of it. Tell me, did your mum give you any back chat when you umpired her games?
0: Um, yes. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Actually, I will tell you a story, and she'll hate me for telling this, but... I'll tell it anyway um, I remember like I was 13 or 14 and I'd been umpiring her and her team and they were all very competitive anyway I had to play my own game and during that game I fell over and I broke my arm and my mum was still had played another game was still playing and um, somebody ran over to mum and was like, oh, you know, Tane's broke her arm, going to have to take her to the hospital. And anyway, mum said, that's fine, she can wait. Um, so I had to wait for her to finish her netball game, okay, for her to take me to the hospital um, to get my arm in plaster. So um, that's how competitive my mum is at netball.
1: Uh, she made sure that you were tough as well. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's... correct. correct. Yeah. She's never lived it down either, by the way. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. We're chatting to Tane Drinkwater, CEO of Netball New South Wales. Tane, it's an unusual name. Is it a family one? Uh, it is,
0: actually. It's um, My mum's, uh, one of my mum's best friends was actually named Tane, and she came from Ireland, so it's actually an Irish name. Um, but all of my sisters, we all start with T. So I've got Tracy, Tara, Tane and
1: Tanil. Um, ah, so so, so when,
0: it's, it's a theme.
1: When the mail came in, it was very confusing.
0: Uh, it was very confusing, and
1: not the least the
0: source of a number of um, a number of fights between <laughs> us girls over who was opening the mail.
1: I uh, bet it was a really interesting uh, upbringing. It sounds like you were all pretty sporty. Was that what your childhood looked like? You're in Newcastle, correct? Yes.
0: So I grew up in Lake Macquarie, um, and all we did was sport. So it was netball, it was little athletics. It was swimming. Um, So any opportunity we had to be outside, Um, we were outside, you know, practising
1: every afternoon, doing our toss-ups. It really was a a key part of me growing up netball. And uh, any thoughts of going professional at any point?
0: No, I didn't grow. So, (laughs) um, And and also, I probably wasn't talented enough. Um, I remember, you know, I made a couple of the school girls teams um, and certainly played rep netball, you know, right up until... um, you know, I was in my sort of kind of 20s and – but, I, again, the, you look at the players now, you look at the athleticism and they're just – they are elite sportswomen and they really deserve to have an elite competition that they can play at because, you know, it—it it is – they're, it's the way of the future, you know. They, they certainly we've now got a major investment with Foxtel, um, and young girls and coaches and and medical staff need some, you know, need something to aspire to. And I think the S S N competition provides that. It
1: certainly does, and uh, it's it's really uh, garnered public interest uh, over the years. But you weren't always sport, Tane. Prior to sport, you held some pretty powerful business roles. I'm assuming from your CV that you then did something. Different after school,
0: I did. I actually didn't know what I wanted to do when I left school. I knew I would. I either wanted to be a journalist or I wanted to be a police officer. So
1: you chose um, but I didn't neither.
0: want to go. <laughs> but I chose neither because I didn't want to go to university. I wanted to go and earn some money uh, and find my way in the world. Uh, so I actually started out in real estate as a, as a receptionist um, way back when in Lake Macquarie. And then, you know, that sort of kind of – I did some study in that space but realised I didn't really want to work every weekend either and um – um <laughs> Found my way way into coal mining. So I actually started, you know, in a learning and development um, space uh, and then progressed from, um, you know, doing inductions and training to then um, take on a role in in, in HR at the time under a gentleman by the name of John Anderson. Uh, So I sort of had worked in and around mining. Uh, My dad was a coal miner, so I grew up sort of in mining. Um, And, you know, John... John Anderson spoke to me and said look would you like to join you know the HR team and I said no no, thank you um, you know I don't really like those HR girls I don't like how they how they do business uh, <laughs> And he said, "Well, you know what? You can do it however you like." And and so you know that instilled in me, you know, again this belief that you know what, actually, I can do it the way I want. Uh, and so he gave me the opportunity, and I, I studied and I worked for a tremendous organization um, in Anglo American, who um, really heavily invested in my development. And similarly, you know, I gave a lot, um, you know, of my life to to the company, and I had opportunities to travel internationally, and um, you know. Again, just a great organization to work for and then you know I sort of kind of got to an age where I I went through um, you know some challenges around um, you know reductions when the global financial crisis hit Um, and so I actually took a bit of a sabbatical so I went and and volunteered uh, over in Ecuador for for a few months and um, so I learned Spanish and I uh, left uh, the lovely town of Middlemount and uh, moved to moved to Ecuador and lived with a little family um, in in Otavalo, and so I climbed the mountain every every day um, and volunteered with an organisation called GBI. Um, so I literally taught grade one, um, you know, uh, children, and I taught them in their native tongue. So I, I taught Spanish, and thankfully I was only teaching grade one students. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you, know, you know, history and mathematics, and and so it was all, you know, it was just I immersed myself, you know, in in the culture. I loved it, you know, and then I went to spend some, rented a house in Spain and then spent some time in, in Italy and really, um, I guess, really considered what I, I wanted, you know, from my life. Uh, and, you know, as a precursor to that, you know, um, I was married prior to that and, and, you know, work sort of kind of became a little bit all-encompassing um, and I'd separated from my husband. So, again, the time over in, in um in Ottawa and, and overseas you know gave me an opportunity to really reflect on what I wanted you know with my life so um, I came back after a period of time you know a few months and um, after about 12 months I reconnected with my husband uh, uh, which was fantastic you know we've obviously remained close and then um, a couple of years later, I had my first child. So um, that was a great opportunity to really um, come back to, you know, I went back to Brisbane and worked, um, you know, in a head office in a in a global projects role, um, which was amazing. Uh, and then um, my second child came along, uh, and there was some restructuring. Um, and I guess for, for me, um, working with Anglo the next, career progression was really to go back out to a site in a site senior executive role which had always been you know my interest but um, Mm. I've been you know heavily involved in a number of fatalities you know I'd been very closely aligned to a few of the SSEs and had seen the impact on them personally Mm. and I guess I made made a bit of a life decision that um, perhaps I wanted to find something else I was really passionate about Um, so I did some research around organisation, you know, about things that I was interested in, you know, and obviously coming from a sporting background, I was, you know, sport was sort of kind of a pick of, of where I would like to choose my, my you know, to spend my time. Um, and I researched a number of organisations in Brisbane, um, you know, and, and looked at um, organisations that fit with my values and my culture, um, you know, and, um, you know, I came up with the Broncos. So I literally... Um, picked up the phone and called Paul White, who I had worked with previously in Anglo, and said, do you think you could use someone like me? And he said, absolutely, but I can't afford you. (laughs) So I said, that's fine. I'm in a position that I can actually, you know, take a role. And I was, I was blessed to be in this position, to be able to take a role that was something truly aligned to my passion. And so I started with the Broncos and I, wow. you know, met with, the, met with the board and they designed a role for me. And then, you know, um, I, I sort of kind of grew from there. But um, yeah, look, I that feel. it's an very extraordinary bo- pathway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> literally, it's, the, it's, it's my life philosophy of, of, you know, don't die wondering. Um, you know, I, I've always been, you know what, that interests me. I'm going to try it. And, yeah. um, you know, it's that, that step forward of picking up a phone and, and going, you know what, I, this really interests me. Can I help you? And and
1: being in a position to be able to to start my um, sporting career, you know, at a club like the Broncos was, was amazing. Yeah, that's brilliant. When you mentioned Middle mountain and, and living there, is that the Middle Mount where Anna Mears is from? Yeah.
0: It is. In fact, I worked with her dad. Her dad was a deputy um, and uh, Tony Mears. Uh, So it was a a beautiful tight-knit community. I took up golf, you know, we travelled around. Oh, look, you know, uh, my handicap is 25, so it's not great. Uh, But, you know, I I can play with some (laughs) some level of capacity, but, you know, it's all about um, I guess building connections in mm. in small rural communities, um, you, you know I'm very much about you need to immerse yourself in the culture, you need to immerse yourself with the people that you're working with. Um, and I loved my four and a half years there. It was you know it was a great little
1: town to live in. And uh, when you work in a, uh, a mining world or a world like that, it's a, a, an industry heavily dominated by men. Is that something that you felt or you noticed in your role? Probably really good preparation for going to the NRL.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, there was the majority of my career, um, particularly at an executive level, I was the only female, you know, in, um, you know, in meetings and in leadership roles. Uh, and I think a great learning for me, you know, as I have progressed in my career, um, it's been around um, really actually being able to overtly bring women along now. Um, so I spent so much of my career Um, fitting in and feeling like I had to fit in, um, you know, to to be able to get ahead, you know, even in so far as, um, you know, what I wore to work every day, you know, there Mm -hmm. there would be not a day that I would wear a dress or a skirt um, simply for the fact that I wanted to be judged on my own, you know, merits versus, you know, walking into a room and people looking at what I was wearing, you know, so Mm Um, it, it was very, um, again, I, I spent some time with some wonderful men, you know, who were very supportive, who were very supportive of my career, but similarly, you know, there were certainly circumstances where, um, they were, it was very challenging. Um, and you know, I had to sort of kind of take a fairly firm position on, on what my morals and my values, you know, were instilled in me. And and that made for some tough conversations and some awkward conversations, but, um, you know, for me, now I'm fortunate to be in a position and I really take um, take privilege in being able to have an influential voice to be able to advocate for women. Um, and that's why I think, you know, the more women we can bring along on the journey, the better because, you know, it's all about, I guess when I grew up, it was very much women um, at a leadership level were, were very insular, very self-focused because it was very much you had to fit in and you were advocating for yourself and just justifying your, your position in being there. Mm. Um, versus now where I go, um, the groundswell needs to be that there's room for everybody, the more people and the more women we can get, um, you know, in leadership levels, at executive levels, in, in areas of businesses that are non-traditional, um, the more opportunity and the more pathways we, we provide for the young women who are coming, you know, coming behind us.
1: You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. Well, New South Wales CEO Tane Drinkwater is our trailblazer today. And Tane, before we talk about the NRLW, General Manager of HR Risk and Compliance at a rugby league club. Now, that suggests to me that in those five or so years, you didn't have too many dull days. Uh, every
0: Every day was different. Every day was different. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but look, in a, in a really um, constructive way, you know, um, the Broncos, are, given they're an ASX, ASX listed company, they're in a very unique position of, of being very commercially focused, very um, governance driven, and and quite sophisticated, you know, in the way they go about doing business. Um, my role was to really um, really establish the HR risk and compliance function, mm. uh, and. And and that created opportunities. You know, I remember um, when I first started, I sort of kind of went around and met with the executive team um, and scheduled some time to meet with um, Wayne. So Wayne Bennett was mm-hmm. the, the head coach at the time. Uh, and, you know, I made made time to sort of kind of go and visit Wayne. I went over there and walked across the Oval and, and had booked time with him. And I, I walked in and he said, yeah, the first words he said to me were, you know, I didn't employ you. I don't need you. You know, this is, my, this is my rugby league team, you know, and you can just go back over there with all the admin people. Um, and just did it with this, you know, really blunt, you know, expressionless face. Um, and in my mind, I thought I, I literally, I've got one chance here. I've mm. got, if I sort of kind of become meek and mild, like I'm never going to get and in with him so you know I just looked him straight back in the eye and said look you may not have employed me you may not think you need me but in 12 months time you're going to wish you said you'd employed me and so he had this little smirk on his face and I walked out and he said you know I like that tan so he called me tan for two years he called me tan Uh, he knew my name but um, from then I was able to go over to the footy department you know I was able to spend time with him I was able to spend time with the playing group um, you know, and really sort of kind of build relationships and build and establish trust to um, you know gain more sophistication in that space of educating our players on on more than just what it is to play football it 's around. You know, you work as part of a broader business. So, you know, what are your commercial responsibilities? What are your responsibilities, you know, to the community and to our pathways? So um, it was a really exciting time to, you know, to grow um,
1: from nothing, you know, to a really sort of kind of sophisticated and responsible, um, responsible organisation. Wow. Just listening to you, I'm thinking that probably anyone that knows you will say that's just uh, the way Tane does things. But that must have taken an incredible amount of chutzpah to uh, actually be able to to go and do that and create that space for yourself. Uh, Because it was also a particularly exciting time uh, for the women in the game. And you're also head of the Broncos NRLW program. What do you remember of the inception of that? Was there pushback? Uh there was certainly pushback from a number of other NRL clubs. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and pushback in so far as there just wasn't enough room or commercial opportunities to be able to include a female sport. Uh so there was definite um oh, and very overt, you know, comments around, you know, that women's the women's game would take, you know, commercial partners from the men's <laughs> game rather than taking a view of hang on, we're 50% of the population and, you know, uh, there's room for everybody and, in fact, you could be growing your footprint in commercial opportunities. Um, It was very much uh, around, you know what, there's no space for women um,
1: because we just can't afford to to fund it. Hmm. Did you find that commercial partners and sponsors view women in the sport through a different lens?
0: I think... I absolutely think they view it in a different lens uh, and... Some of it is, is very positive, but some of it is quite negative and negative in the sense that uh, until they actually saw a game, by the way, you know, mm. it was the quality of, of the competition wasn't going to be there. It wasn't going to be exciting. It wasn't going to be dynamic. Um, and then after that first year, it was, oh, wow, how do we get on board? How do we get involved? This is such a great product. Um, you know, and similarly, the the women who were participating, you know, in that inaugural competition, Mm. you know, were just humbled and grateful to be given an opportunity to, you know, to perform at an elite level. Um, And, and, you know, insofar as you know, don't pay me, I'm happy not to be paid and you know, I'll do oh. this for free. And, <laughs> no. and you know, and, it's, and it's no. Yeah, you know, and this was my comment, I'm like, no, you know, stop devaluing yourself. You know, you you've earned your, your time. Um, you know, and and certainly from the Broncos perspective, you know, and even Roosters, St George and the Warriors, mm. you know, they, they saw the value in the game, um, and they saw that that this could be a great product, um, you know, to
1: grow the reach, you know, of Rugby League, and it has. Yeah, it's just a no-brainer, isn't it? Uh, I've got to ask you, though, signing a squad for an inaugural competition, that must have been so much fun, surely?
0: Oh, it was. It absolutely was, you know, and I had a great relationship um, with the head coach, Paul Dyer, um, and so, you know, we selected, you know, the first squad based on you know, he was obviously the technical director uh, and I sort of kind of selected based on culture. So we worked really well together to really sort of kind of get a squad together that, um, you know, that, that carried a lot
1: of weight on its shoulders. You know, the Broncos mm. hadn't won um, a, a premiership for, for quite some time. Um, yeah, be, and, being a Broncos you know, fan, I can thank you for reminding me of that. <laughs>
0: yes. <yeah. laughs> oh, look. Well, you've got three premierships now. You got you got three three female premierships. Exactly. Um, what made
1: them such such a strong team? Like, what what made them so invincible?
0: Uh, look, it 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 all came back to, um, in my view, uh, selecting the right player for the team and to fit you know the Broncos culture and our ethos. And that was really around, um, you know, they were humble, they were grateful, um, they competed, you know, for each other um, and they were connected as a group of women. You know, as I said, you know, even with the SSN teams, um, I haven't seen women sort of kind of come together so collegiately and, and the beauty of them was really that. They play selfish, selflessly, you know, so they, you know, if they're not fit to play, they don't want to play. You know, um, they are very much around um, they're driven to succeed, but they they're driven to succeed insofar as the team succeeds rather than the woman succeeds. Um, and so they value themselves, um, you know, and they value how they connect to each other. Um, you know, they love spending time with each other and that's not to say there aren't sort of kind of, um, you know, disagreements, but they resolve it um, and they are just, a, they are a beautiful collegiate team um, and and similarly, they want to bring young women along. So, you know, at the heart of it is this just absolute desire to put it, you know, perform at an elite level, but, but develop a product that, that young girls want to aspire to.
1: You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. Tane Drinkwater is heading up netball in New South Wales after a hugely successful stint in rugby league with the Brisbane Broncos and Tane from a male-dominated world into one of the sports that is just the reverse. It's predominantly the domain of women. Is there a different vibe in a netball role? Uh, there definitely is a different <laughs> vibe. <laughs> You know, netball is still sort of kind of
0: steeped in tradition um, and, you know, there is so much history and legacy associated with netball. You know, I think we're going into our 100th year of, of netball in Australia. There are all of these associations, there's this grassroots that have really been, I, I guess, the, have underpinned the whole ecosystem of netball. You know, so SSN wouldn't be in, in existence if it hadn't have started with those associations and those clubs that, you know, really, Really are the lifeblood of SSN. So when you when you talk about that, then you obviously talk around the amount of history and, and experience that lies underneath that. So there's a lot of work that I'm doing at the moment to, um, to navigate my way through, you know, building those relationships and those partnerships with the association so they know that. You know the work that um, Netball New South Wales are doing, and the Swifts and the Giants, and our investment in them. Ultimately, you know, if we can get them to be self-sustaining and financially successful, that we'll be able to invest more in that grassroots and volunteers area. So yes, it's a it, totally different vibe. Um, you know, I went to Randwick the other day and had a had a great opportunity to launch their season, and you know, had some scones and had some you know triangular
1: <laughs> sandwiches. Um, <laughs> So
0: there's definitely still a lot, of, um, a lot of past, you know, associated with that. And, and, you know, you don't
1: want to lose that. No, absolutely. Uh, how much has the game changed since you were actually running around on the court? I mean, we had a laugh the other day about the uniforms and our, our memories of pleated skirts and, and so on back in the good old days. And some of the rules have changed. Uh, has the feel of the game essentially stayed the same? The feel of the game for me has essentially stayed the same. I sat courtside with my two sons um, at a
0: preseason match with the Giants. And just, again, it's still as physical, although obviously at an elite level, you know, it's much cleaner than what used to occur at Westlake's netball club. But, you know, even the calls, you know, even the way that, you know, the game is played, you know, in the centre court and in defence and attack. It ultimately, and that's the beauty of it, right? It, mm. It's sort of kind of essentially stayed the same. But then you've got these great innovations in terms of you know the you know the 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 um the five minutes at the end, you know where we're double points. Well, I can't remember what it's called now. Um, but you know you've got your super shot that yeah. that sort of kind of is innovating, and so the game can sort of kind of change. You know, in in the matter of seconds. And I think a great example of that was when, um, you know the Swiss played the five birds and we went into extra time in that first gra- you know first game. It was up, it was down. So it's so exciting to watch now, and it's so quick and fast paced and and mm-hmm. And similarly, you know, when you watch the umpires I remember when I used to umpire and I used to have you know, the hand, hairband on my hand you know, swapping sides for each that has not changed, you know, <laughs> and I thought surely there's, I, literally that was the one thing that shocked me, I, I looked and went, they still use a hairband, you know like, that, that hasn't changed, oh, so that's hilarious. Um, it is, you know, that's just a, lo- a lovely testament to the past
1: Yeah, no, That's that's true, and I love that you had your boys there to watch. Uh, you mentioned the, the need to find pathways for, for boys and men that would like to play, is that a growing market
0: yeah yeah it absolutely is and it's unpacked um and it's something that you know netball new south wales um you know doesn't currently have a line of sight over you know it's run by the the men's association but Mm. when you're looking at uh growing your game and growing your footprint and truly being inclusive um and it's not only inclusive you know of of race or or or, you know, ethnicity. It's really around... Um, there's also a whole heap of young boys and men who want to participate at an elite level, and currently they don't necessarily
1: have those pathways. Mm. Um, is there a bias you know, against and, men playing? Like that, I'm sort of referring to, in some spheres, we see it in rugby and rugby league, when the women want to play, uh, there's a bit of scoffing and, you know, it's not a sport for women. Is there the reverse in netball and men? Look, from my observations, you know, just coming into into the sport, yes, I would suggest that
0: there is um you know and that that's an education piece for us you know when we go out to school you know when we're working with clubs and associations that we really want to um be as inclusive you know as we can and that's around creating conversations with boys men their parents you know to create a compelling argument about why netball is a great sport and you look at it and you think whilst it's it's minimal you know whilst it's contact it's minimal contact mm. you know it's a great clean sport it's a family sport so it's about breaking down some some of those barriers and that stigma that it is just a female sport. And, and so even so far as, well, how do we develop people not only as players but as coaches or as, you know, medical experts or how do we get people involved at all levels, you know,
1: of the game? Mm. And and how do we keep them Engaged. I mean, we both know as as parents that your kids play sport and you watch them go th- through a sport. And then, it, it, on some, uh, do, in different situations, they just decide they've had enough of that, or their friends stop playing, and and so on and so forth. How do we keep players involved in the game and even give them those pathways into to coaching or umpiring?
0: Well, I think that's a very good question. I think if we could answer that right now, we wouldn't have <laughs> you know we wouldn't have people leaving the sport. Look, for me, again, given I'm I'm new into the role, I guess I'm keen to really spend. some time um, out in our communities understanding why people are leaving the sport and then you know once we understand why you know we can design um, you know design programs or design opportunities to keep people connected to the sport you know when you think about you know young girls you know all young boys you know all you know is is it the uniform that's preventing them you know wearing short skirts and or tight-fitting outfits you know the lack of sort of kind of diversity in the way that we design that product and then similarly I don't, you know, providing understanding and opportunity for people to know that there is a pathway um, that's not necessarily player related. I mean, the playing mm. pathway is just so small. You need to be creating opportunities and understanding for people, to, for young people to go, well, maybe at university I'm going to sport, study sports medicine or I am going to really invest my time and resources in coaching or umpiring and I can perform at an SSN or, you know, an international level. So I think it's that education piece. Um, And that's us working with associations and working with schools to, to build that connection and understanding.
1: Of course, there's a netball world cup heading down to Sydney in 2027, fourth time Australia's played host. How important do you see that as a, as a driver for the sport?
0: Oh, I think 2027 netball world cup is, is so exciting. It creates a pathway that we can start on now Mm. to be bringing the next generation of young, young, young players along. And, Similarly, you know, young players, young coaches, young umpires, um, administrators. Uh, So, you know, I'm really keen to work with um, the New South Wales government and, and Destinations New South Wales to I guess, plan out what the next sort of kind of six years is going to look like because it's going to be on us, you know, sooner than we know. And now is the opportunity to really um, engage with our partners commercially, engage with schools and associations, um, you know, to, to develop a whole program of events and opportunities for, for people to be able to perform at that elite level in
1: 2027. Mm. Well, I want to ask you, if you look at your short-term and your long-term plans, albeit you've only barely had time to get your feet under the desk, what is your biggest, your first priority?
0: Uh, so my first priority is spending time out in our grassroots associations to, um, to I guess, understand, you know, what are some of the barriers that they're facing to, to participation and incre- increasing their participation The participation rates, I think, (laughs) over the last couple of years, it has diminished and obviously COVID, um, you know, had an impact on that. But um, similarly, you know, how do we get back to those rates of of three and four years ago where netball was the number one sport? Mm. Um, So, you know, how do we support the associations in growing that? Um, But similarly, um, my focus is really around how am I enhancing that commercial footprint? you know for our professional clubs uh we need to get the giants and the swifts and all ssn um, teams you know financially self-sustaining um and at the moment they're not you know they place a significant um you know burden on associate um sorry on on organizations and member organizations so how do we take our product um out to our commercial partners um so we can so we can build their capacity to to fund themselves and then so once we do that we can then sort of kind of, again, you know, invest back
1: into our grassroots and volunteers. And just tell me, is part of the attraction of getting out to grassroots the triangular sandwiches and the scones? It uh, <laughs> most definitely is, along <laughs> with the
0: um, champagne and orange juice breakfast.
1: <laughs> I definitely need to get to a grassroots netball. <laughs> yes, correct, correct. So tell us, when you aren't at the netball court, how do you relax?
0: Ah, so I relax with my um, my husband, um, who's very forgiving and very accommodating, uh, and my two children. So I've got two young boys um, who love to play rugby league, um, who did actually say to me, oh, mum, you're joining netball. Are we going to have to now play netball? Um, to which, which said I said yes. Answered, yes <laughs> I said, absolutely. There's a great opportunity for you to, uh, to start playing. Uh, but they, again, they came along to that first game and they just loved it. So... As a family, um, we spend a lot of time on the water. So we've got a boat and so we do a lot of, um, you know, going out and fishing and sort of kind of swimming. And, you know, me personally, I do a lot of running and uh, exercise. So that's that's how I... And I also like to entertain. So entertaining also comes with, you know, a glass or two of wine, um, which, you know, puts me into balance. So um,
1: I'm very social. Oh, it sounds like an... Idyllic life, if if you like, and what a life story so far, Tane. I feel like there's so much still to be written, though. When, when you talk about uh, everything with so much enthusiasm, do you have a, a highlight when you reflect on this this first part of your life? I absolutely do. I uh,
0: what stands out for me is um, some of the work that we were able to do over in, in Papua New Guinea uh, mm-hmm. as part of the Broncos and using the Broncos, um, you know, brand as a tool to. Um, partner with Oil Search. So we, we uh, developed a commercial partnership with Oil Search Foundation. Um, and so we took sort of kind of the Broncos women's and men's, you know, players and teams out to regional and remote communities to talk about family sexual violence. Um, and that's a long-term partnership that we've now sort of kind of cemented with um, the Bank of South Pacific uh, so for me, that that started from literally, I was um, at home one day thinking, who are we going to play a trial against in that first season? And I thought, I don't want to play against one of the women's teams down here. You know, it's only four rounds. People are going to see it. So I literally thought, who is one of our neighbours? Um, you know, spoke to our commercial um, guy, Dan, and said, do you reckon we could play, oil, you know, the oil search orchids? And he went, who are they? <laughs> and so we picked up the, again, in the spirit of Don't Die Wondering, picked up up the phone and we called their sponsor oil search and said hey look you know we'd love to organize a trial match with your orchids and oil search were just so delighted to be able so they funded it they brought the girls over Um, which then developed into a really strong partnership with the foundation. So Stephanie Copas Campbell, who's just an amazing woman who is just so passionate about um, family sexual violence and I guess promoting, um, you know, female empowerment in PNG. And so we, you know, my work with them over the last few years has really created life changing experiences. And I don't think I could have ever done that, um, you know, without the, you know, without the Broncos or without that, that brand. And I think, um, that's something that I'm really proud of and, and something that remains close to my heart.
1: Tane Drinkwater Rugby League was lucky to have you. I can't wait to see how you shape the future of netball in New South Wales. I wish you all the very, very best with what you're doing and thank you so much for being today's trailblazer.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I've, again, I've, I've loved chatting to you. Um, I'd love to have you at a few more of our games um, and, and um, yeah, look, appreciate the opportunity.